0: Good morning. Thanks for tuning in this morning. You know, when I was a kid, I would often accompany my mom shopping at the Belk department store in downtown Paragould, Arkansas. I had a ritual every time I went shopping with her where I would get inside the clothes rack, those circular clothes racks. I would make my way through the clothes and I would sit in the middle of that clothes rack playing hide and seek from my mom. I thought it was great. My mom thought it was annoying. Nevertheless, I did it every time. And I can remember one particular occasion, we had visited the department store and I raced to a clothes rack and I got inside and I sat there and waited for my mother to find me. And I waited and I waited, no sign of my mother. So I giggled a little bit thinking that that would give me away and she would look, but she didn't. So I finally peeked out from the clothes and looked around And my mother was nowhere to be found. Could it be that my mother decided that she was done with my antics and she was going to go look for a kid that wasn't wasn't as annoying? And the truth of the matter is, yes, that's exactly what she did. She left me. And so I became terrified. She thought it was funny. I, I began searching high and low, yelling out, mom, mom. And then finally, over by the dressing room, I see what I think is her shadow and I take off in a dead sprint. And once I get there, I realize the shadow did actually belong to my mother. And I embraced her leg and clung on tightly. And she just looked at me and said, I win. Now, which is better, the happiness of seeing her shadow or embracing her leg and knowing that it was indeed her? I think the answer is obvious. And And it's that way when it comes to Jesus being our high priest. All the priests of the past were a mere shadow, but Jesus was the real deal. Let me ask you, why do you get a better version of something, even though the current version you have is just fine? Why do you go get an iPhone 11 when your iPhone 7 still makes calls? Why go get a 2020 model GMC pickup when your 2008 still runs? Why go and get a new shirt when your one from 1984 still fits perfectly? We upgrade because by and large, newer is better. Maybe the old saying is true, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But the truth of the matter is, new is usually better because it comes with more features and and cooler things associated with it. That is the point of Hebrews. Jesus is a massive upgrade. And like the upgrades that we tend to to make today, this upgrade was desperately needed. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to read a pretty large chunk here. Hebrews 7, starting in verse 1, it reads, For this Melchizedek, King king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, King of Righteousness, and then also King of Salem, which is King of Peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater." In this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them of whom it is witness that he lives on. And so to speak through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, of necessity there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one has officiated at the altar." For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. And this is clear still if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law, a physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life, for it is attested of him. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. There's a Sherlock Holmes novel called Silver Blaze. And in this novel, there is a dog that barks all the time. It barks at every single person that it encounters. But on the night of a murder, the dog doesn't bark, which leads Sherlock Holmes to say, it's elementary, dear Watson. The perpetrator was someone the dog knew. There's a lot of barking dogs throughout the Old Testament. We see it in the genealogies, the prophets, the old system. We see it in Melchizedek. These are all barking dogs, and they alert us to the fact that that something better is on the way. They all point to a king who reigns, a priest who mediates, and a sacrifice that atones. That's why I always frustrates me when people choose to live under the old law today. Why are you trying to live under the rules and regulations of the Old Testament? I mean, if you're not a Jew, those things don't apply to you anyway. They never did. But beyond that, why would you want to live under a regime that was merely a shadow and not the reality? It's like being presented with two options. One is obviously a better choice, but you choose the lesser, like liver and onions in a a juicy porterhouse steak. Obviously, one of those is better than the other. I cannot fathom why why religious folks would continue choosing a lesser option. That's certainly not what God intended. And we see it reiterated over and over again throughout the Old Testament through the prophets that something better is coming. Now, I will say this. I don't think we're always genuine or honest in our assessment of the Old Testament versus the New Testament or old versus new. If we're not careful, we tend to present the old law as bad and the new covenant as good. But you do realize that when speaking to a Jewish audience, the apostles tried to help the Jews realize that following Jesus was the next right step. It wasn't about forgetting all that they had been taught and all that they had grown up with. No, everything had pointed to this point in their lives. Following Jesus meant fulfilling all that they had been taught up to this point. It was the acknowledgement that the old law had done exactly what it was meant to do. And the same is true for us today. This isn't Christianity versus Judaism. No, Christianity is the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament prophets pointed to. So it's not like one is bad and the other is good. No, this is, this is the fulfillment of the old. You can't have the new without the old. Jesus is the culmination of the old. The prophets, the temple, the tablets, Moses, all of it pointed to a Messiah, the anointed one. All these things in the old were, were shadows, But Jesus is the reality. So you no longer cling to a shadow. You cling to the real deal. You embrace the reality because Jesus is better. The problem and the challenge for these Jewish Christians was their vision. They had to refocus. They had to fix their eyes in a different direction. They were viewing things from an earthly perspective. And Jesus' kingdom was not earthly. It was heavenly and spiritual in nature. That's why the Hebrew writers stated these words in chapter 11 verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Following Jesus meant following by faith, not by sight. Their experience had always been something that appealed to the senses. And maybe that's why religious people today prefer to live under the old regime rather than the new, because it's carnal, because it's tangible, because it's something that appeals to the senses. It's something that they can see and feel and touch. Their entire system had been carnal in nature, but Jesus came to introduce something heavenly. And that's what the Hebrew writer is zeroing in on. He's making a contrast between the old and the new. And one of the ways that he does this is by linking Jesus to a rather obscure character found in the Old Testament, a man by the name of Melchizedek. The Hebrew writer describes Jesus as a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, to understand what this means, we need to backtrack a little. We need to go back to a couple of concepts from the Old Testament And they are the concepts of law and priest. Now, the general position from which the Hebrew writer starts is that religion is access to God. And in order for access to God to be possible, two things have to come into play, law and priest. Now, law is the basic idea that humanity, faithfully observing the commandments of God, will have a relationship with God and be allowed access to God. In other words, the door to God will be open. Now, the problem, of course, is that this could not continue perpetually because access to God was was interrupted by the sin of the people. So God's presence was interrupted, which brings about the second thing, which is the priesthood or the priest. And the priest was a bridge builder. In fact, in the Latin, Pontifex, that's what it means, bridge builder. The priest was the one who was designated to build a bridge between mankind and God. And he did this through the offering of sacrifices. And this offering was known as atonement. So the priest would make atonement for the sins of the people and fellowship with God would be restored. Now that was the idea anyway. Ultimately though, this, this system fell short because there was just no escaping the estrangement from God that resulted from man's sin. Therefore, the Hebrew writer argues that what is needed is a new, better, more effective system. And Jesus, or excuse me, the Hebrew writer sees Jesus as the upgrade, the only one who can open the way to God. And he calls this priesthood of Jesus a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. But who is Melchizedek? Well, we got to backtrack a little further and we go to Genesis chapter 14 and starting in verse 17, here's what we read. Then after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, Now, he was a priest of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand." So that's it. That's really all we know about Melchizedek. He is mentioned again in Psalm 110 and verse 4, where it reads, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. But other than that, we don't know a whole lot about this man. However, two things are said about him that really connect what we see the Hebrew writer talking about in Hebrews chapter 7. It's kind of like those old Polaroid cameras. You're snapping a picture and then when it dispenses it, you, you wave it around to get the picture to develop. And that's what we're doing here. We're taking Genesis 14 and Hebrews 7 and we're, we're waving it to see the picture come into focus. And what we see here in Genesis 14, the two things we find out about Melchizedek are That relate to Jesus was that he was a king and a priest. He was a king of righteousness and peace. He stands in contrast to the king of Sodom, who was anything but a king of righteousness and peace. Melchizedek was the king of the city of Salem, a city which later would be known as Jerusalem. Not only was he king, but Melchizedek was also a priest. In fact, he stands above the priesthood as one who was superior to all the priests because he had no genealogy. And why is that important? Well, genealogies meant everything to a Jew. In fact, if it was found that a person had any sort of foreign blood coursing through their veins, they could not be uh, uh, considered a true and pure Jew. When it came to the priesthood, a gentleman could not be a priest if he could not produce a pure genealogy that went all the way back to Aaron. And so Melchizedek did not have this genealogy. So he did not receive his priesthood through earthly descent. Rather, he received it directly from God. You see the connection here with Jesus? Is it starting to come into view? Jesus was both priest and king, the king of kings and the great high priest. However, he was not qualified to be a priest through earthly descent because he was not from the tribe of Levi. He didn't have that pedigree, but that only further reiterates that Jesus' kingdom and reign are not earthly, they are heavenly. Everything from the old system points to a new and better system, one that is not carnal and material, but spiritual and heavenly, and one in which Jesus reigns as king and serves as priest. You know, you don't find someone in Scripture that was both king and priest. I mean, that just never happened. You were either one or the other, but you weren't both. But here we have Melchizedek, who was both king and priest. He is in, and Jesus is in line after the order of Melchizedek. But here's something else about Melchizedek. Not only was he king and priest, he was also a human being, which meant that he was a shadow. He was not deity. He was an earthly king reigning over an earthly kingdom. He was an earthly priest who made sacrifices in an earthly sacrificial carnal system. What was Melchizedek? He was the shadow. Jesus is the reality. I have a friend by the name of Maurice. Maurice and I met in college. He was a football player, and I was a washed-up has-been that wished I could play football. We became good friends in college, and we have kept in touch since. Not long ago, Maurice was uh, traveling through Texas, and he made a detour to come and and eat lunch with me, and we had a good visit. Maurice is now the uh, offensive coordinator for Liberty University. And twice this year, Liberty played on television where I could watch them. And, and the camera would pan over to my friend Maurice as he had on the headset and was calling plays. And the commentator would, would say something like, this is one of the brightest young minds in college football as a coordinator. And I thought to myself, yeah, and I know that guy. You know, Do you have somebody like that in your life? Somebody who's rather famous, maybe uh, notorious for good things, somebody that, uh, you know, is somewhat of a celebrity, and, and you know them, you, you, they're your friend, somebody like David Robinette, a famous sportscaster right here in Abilene that goes to church here, do you know somebody like that, somebody that we might call a friend in high places? I can remember a few years ago, standing up here at this very pulpit, doing a for, uh, funeral for the sweet Barbara Nicholson, and as I was sharing some thoughts about her life and what a lovely lady she was. I looked back and sitting in the back of this auditorium was Roger Stallback. And it kind of took me off guard. And after the service, I went back there. Of course, I wasn't going to ask him for an autograph or anything at a funeral, but I stood there and just kind of made sure that's who it was. And I actually asked Randy later, Barbara's husband. I asked Randy, I said, uh, was I mistaken, but was, was Roger Stallback here? And he said, oh, no, he was here. We're good friends. We go way back. Do you have somebody like that in your life? a friend in high places, so to speak? The truth of the matter is, every Christian can make the claim of having a friend in a high place. You go back to Hebrews 4 and verses 15 and 16, and it reads, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may, ha- may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want you to underline or highlight or circle or do all the above to that phrase yet without sin because those words make all the difference for you and me because it's what distinguishes the Levitical system from the new covenant. Jesus is the perfect, holy, sinless sacrifice. He was not a copy. He was not an archetype. He was not a shadow of what was to come. He was not symbolic. His death was not some ceremony or ritual. He is the lamb without blemish. He is also the perfect high priest, unlike Aaron or any other high priest Jesus didn't have to cleanse himself first he was without blemish as the lamb and the one who offered the lamb he was the high priest and the sacrifice you go back to Hebrews chapter 9 verses 24 and 25 it reads like this for Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands a mere copy of the true one but into heaven itself Now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. All entrance into the presence of God must be mediated. You can't just traipse into the holy of holies. Jesus is the king, the priest, and the sacrifice. He is the bridge builder. He has torn down the veil of separation. And now, we who are guilty have been deemed clean and have been allowed entrance into the presence of the Almighty God. I want you think about that for just a moment. Let that sink in. The Hebrew writer is saying, you have a friend in high places. You've got connections. You've got clout. You've got a friend on the throne of grace who delights in answering your prayers. He's been in your shoes. He's suffered. He's been tempted. He can sympathize with what you're going through. He's not distant or aloof or far off. He is close and he is waiting for you to draw near. So let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, when my my kids call me, my whole world stops. When one of my kids calls, when I I hear my phone ring and I look down and I see that it's one of my kids, I stop everything. I may be in a, a rather deep conversation with someone, but I stop to answer that call virtually every time. Because they might need something, or they may just want to talk. Not everyone has that kind of access. I don't answer every call immediately, but when my kids call, I do. They have an access to me that is unique. I want to hear from them. I want to make sure that they're okay. I want to stay connected to them. You see, we can talk all about the concept of Jesus being the great high priest, but this isn't a research assignment. This isn't an academic exercise. This is personal. This is about a relationship. This is about belonging. And this is all about presence. We can call on our Lord at any time thanks to the mediator the great high priest. You know, at Mount Sinai, God was unapproachable. God told Moses to come to the top of the mountain to see the fire and the lightning and the smoke. Moses then returned to tell the people that they would be struck dead if they came too close to the mountain. The physical distance between the people and God represented the moral chasm between God and mankind. Sinai was God's presence without atonement and without a mediator. Not even Moses could look at God directly. The word to the people at Sinai was, stand back or be killed. But the Hebrew writer states, but you have come to Mount Zion to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. Christ died outside the city walls of Zion, fulfilling the prophecies that salvation would come from there. Zion represents the opening of heaven. Sinai was closed to all, for no one can keep the demands of the law perfectly, but Zion is open to everyone who is willing to take advantage of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, the unapproachable God becomes approachable. He is the mediator of a new covenant, a new kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, Kingdom. Sinai was covered with clouds. Zion is filled with light. Sinai was symbolic of judgment and death. Zion is symbolic of life and forgiveness. Again, the message at Sinai was stand back. The message of Calvary has come near. And here's something else. And maybe this is the most important thing to note. The fact that Jesus sat down And you say, well, Chris, what in the world does that have to do with anything? I'm talking about how there were no chairs in the temple. The priest's work was never done. A priest could never sit down and totally relax. They could never relax or rest in the comfort of knowing that sin was permanently atoned for. But Jesus changed all that. Jesus rose up and he sat down. He rose up from the grave, showing his superiority over sin and death, punctuating all that he had said and all that the prophets had foretold, proving that he was indeed the great high priest, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he doesn't have to constantly get up and re-offer himself. He doesn't have to continually get up from his seat and make atonement. He can get comfortable because his work as priest is done. And we can get comfortable as well. We can rest in the comfort of knowing that in the presence of God is the best place to be. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day. We thank you that we have a great high priest. One that can sympathize with us in every way. One that took our place. One who was our sacrifice our atonement once and for all. God, may we never forget that. May we live our lives in response to it. May we seek always to follow Jesus, to follow in his footsteps, and to show others what he looks like, and to tell others about the hope that is found in him. It's in your son's precious name we pray.